grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love and your kindness. Lord, I pray that you would open up hearts and ears to see and understand this morning. And I pray that in doing so, God, you would change. You would seek souls and you would change lives. That's what you do, Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you seek souls and you change lives. Let us be the product of what you do this morning. Father, I pray that you help me to decrease this morning so that uh, you can increase. I pray that you would help me to become less, our dear Father, so that you can become more. And Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way. You would help me, Jesus, not to be seen or heard, but you be seen and heard. Be glorified, dearest Father, in this message this morning. Keep your people from error. Keep me from teaching lies and untrue doctrine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I was asked yesterday, jokingly, kind of, there's always a little bit of truth in a joke. How long are we going to be in chapter 1? <coughs> We're going to be out of it today, I promise you, okay? But I also made the joke uh, to that person that, If you thought I'm bad, you should have been here when Pastor John did Galatians chapter three, verses one through two. He stayed in those two verses for three weeks. So at least I'm moving. Anyways, let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter one, verse thirty eight through fifty one. We will cover all those verses today. And Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas or Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and Nathanael said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can anything good or any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 20 or verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. You may be seated. May God can add a blessing to the reading of his word. The last time that we were together, we looked at John the Baptist who preached the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist, who also preached a message of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist came baptizing 
and calling people to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The last time we were together, we also looked at a three day account given to us by John the Apostle in which John the Baptist preached for three days to three different groups. And each time he gave the same emphasis. The delegation on the first day of priests and Levites came to John and John preached the coming of the Messiah. The second day, the delegation stays and a crowd is gathered to hear John the Baptist and John the Baptist preached Jesus Christ, the son of God. The third day, there's just an audience of two, Andrew and John. And Jesus points to to, and John points to Jesus and says, behold, the lamb of God. That was the life of John the Baptist. The Apostle John doesn't give us much information about John the Baptist, except John the Baptist's message, which is behold the Lamb of God. The life of John the Baptist was simply lived to point to Christ. It was lived to proclaim Christ and it was lived to pursue Christ with all of his heart. Now, as we pick the story up in verse 38, we're going to see the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into this lesson, I want you to see these two truths found within these verses that Jesus is both a soul seeker and a life changer, that Jesus is a soul seeker and he is a life changer. Keep those in mind as we go throughout the rest of these verses. Verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to him, to them, come. And you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and he and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought to him Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. As we noted the last time when we were together, it was John the Baptist who testified that Jesus is, was the Lamb of God to those two disciples. And we know that the two disciples are Andrew and John, John the Apostle. John the Apostle does not like to mention himself very often in his, in his gospel, but he's speaking of himself. Now, as they left John to follow Jesus in the distance, they must have ran. To catch up to Jesus. Now get this picture. John the Baptist points to Jesus. They see Jesus in the distance and they run to Jesus. And if you can imagine them running to Jesus to catch up to Jesus, catching up to Jesus, Jesus turning around at these two men who are running to him, stopping in the tracks they do. And Jesus says to them, what do you seek? What? I don't know if he said it in a kind way or if he said it in a rude way, but he turns around and says, what? What do you want? Or what do you want? Those of you who like a loving Jesus, I like the mean Jesus because if two men are running up on me, my obvious is what, what, what? I'm going to fake it so they get scared. But either way, what do you seek? He knew what they sought. Think about this. He knew they were followers of John the Baptist. 
which means he also knew that because they were followers of John the Baptist, they were convicted of sin. They sought forgiveness for their sins, and they knew that righteousness could be found in the Messiah whom John the Baptist pointed was Jesus. So why in the world would he ask these men a question that he already knew the answer to? Notice Jesus's or question. He says to them, what are you seeking? Not whom are you seeking? Think about that question now. He knew they were seeking him because he was pointing out as being the son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. So it wasn't who that wasn't the issue. It was what? The real question is what? What do you want? You know who I am. And in coming to me, what do you want? What are you seeking? You know who I am. And what do you think you will find now that you know who I am? Jesus is, as we said before, a soul seeker and a life changer. The question was presented to Andrew and John. What do you seek? The question is presented to you this morning. What do you seek? You've come to church or you've come to the word or you've come to prayer or whatever avenue in which you've come to God. The question is, what do you seek? It's not necessarily whom because you have an idea of who it is, but what do you want? The motives of a man are always known by God. We see in the gospel of Matthew, chapter four, the news about Jesus spread throughout Syria and they brought to him all who were ill. Listen to to who was coming to him, who were ill, those suffering, various diseases, pains, those who are demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics. He healed them. But then larger crowds started to gather those from all around the area beyond the Jordan. It says, what were the crowds coming for? Now, listen. Not necessarily who, because we've already been given a list of what kind of ailments were afflicting them. What did they want? Did they want Jesus or did they want healing? Big difference there. What are you seeking? Jesus In order to understand or in order to give the people of a true perspective of who he was, the Bible says in verse five, verse one of that chapter five, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain. This is in Matthew. And after that, he sat down. His disciples came to them to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach him. Now, listen to that. Verse four's transition is all these people of different illnesses and sicknesses and demon possessed people are coming to Jesus. And Jesus does not say, "Okay." Disciples, let's start a healing line. Get them lined up and I'm going to lie. I'm going to knock them down. Instead, Jesus goes to a mountain and sits down in front of all these people who are sick. And begins to teach. Why? Because he's letting them know who it is they are coming to. I know what you want, but let me show you who I am, because who I am is much greater than what you want. And what you want will be found in who I am. And to the point where you will realize that what I want is no longer what I want. I want who you are now. What do you see? Do you think Andrew and John really knew what they would find when they found Jesus? Will you still want me 
the question may be. When I sit down and tell you who I am, but don't necessarily give you what you think you want, do you still want me? And will I be greater than what you think you want? Will I be that treasure that you found in the field that you say, I will lose everything in my life for this because this is better than I could ever imagine? Will you still follow him when he says things like, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him? The crowds, when they heard Jesus say things like this, they go, "Nah, we're going back. So much so, I think there was two or three times to where finally Jesus looked at his disciples and said, what about you guys? You don't want to go too, do you? Where else are we going to go? There's nothing better than you. The question that Jesus asked Andrew and John is the same question that he's asking you this morning. What do you seek? What do you want? Verse 38. Here's the response. Rabbi, where are you staying? The answer to the question of what are you seeking was answered by the response of you. Where are you going? Where are you staying? And listen, wherever you're going, wherever you're staying, we will go. We want you. We will follow you. Listen, they didn't even say, is there room? They just said, where are you going? Where are you staying? Can I go with you? They didn't ask. You know, usually people say, is there enough room in the car for you? They just say, can I go with you? It doesn't matter if there's room. Can I go? They want Jesus. Wherever you're staying, we would like to stay. And can you imagine the questions that must have been in their minds That they wanted to ask Jesus, should Jesus accept their presence? He said to them, come. I I can't imagine that moment. And you will see. Now, I think about the question of where are you going and waiting for the response of, can we go with you? Yes, come. I, I think about maybe there being a pause because these men ran to Jesus. Maybe they were, where, where are you going? Where, where are you staying? Can we go? And the pause of hearing their own breath, breathe hard. And Jesus looking at them, knowing their heart, knowing their intentions. To me, it would be like, I don't know if you've ever been on this ride, but it would be like Magic Mountain's Goliath. There's a climb that seems like it climbs for miles. And you know that it's coming anytime. You just... You know, you start seeing the mountains and you start thinking, OK, when's this going to happen? And then all of a sudden you go straight down. And that ride is now begun. You are now on Goliath. Right? I can imagine the moment that elapsed between them asking, where are you going? And him saying, come and you will see being like that ride. And when he says, come, you will see. They say, here we go. We are going to be on the ride of our lives. I will never go on Goliath again, but I can say I've been there. (laughs) You guys know that slow. You know, it's not fun. Anyways, I didn't scream like that. I just went. Now, think about this. By inviting these two men to come and spend the night with Jesus, he was inviting them to come and learn from him. He was going to give them insight into the very mind and purpose of God in the flesh. I just, I mean, he knew their hearts. He knew they were honest and sincere seekers of truth and that they had been drawn to him by the Father, John 6, 44. Jesus never turned away a person that was coming to them in that way because he knew it was him that was drawing them. He was never too busy for people like that because it was he that was drawing them near. 
And we see examples of that. We see an example of a man that was so desperate to see Jesus that he actually, being a short man, climbed up a sycamore tree just to see Jesus, just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And what was the response of Jesus who saw this little man, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. And can you imagine Andrew and John sitting there asking Jesus questions? We're going to get to that in just a moment, but that's what Jesus does. He's done that for, for Andrew, for John, for Zacchaeus, later for Peter, James, Bartholomew. He's going to do that for Matthew. He's done that for you, and he's done that for me. He draws you near and then spends time with you to give you understanding of who he is. That's what happened on the day that he saved you. He said to you, basically, come and you will see. Why? Because he knows it's the father drawing you near to himself. The apostle remembered this moment in his life so vividly that he even remembers the time it happened. Verse 39. They came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So this took place in January and it would have been about four o'clock, which means it would have got darker sooner. So most people will find places to lodge before it gets too dark and cold. They stayed with Jesus. Now think about this. What did they talk about? I mean, does that, I mean I, maybe I read too much into things, but when I sit there and I'm reading the scriptures, I'm just thinking, God, what do they talk about? These two by themselves with Jesus, who knows where they were staying, but they're sitting there talking to Jesus. And for me, it's reminiscent of the time when Jesus met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And the Bible says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus began to interpret them, the scriptures concerning himself. So on the road to Emmaus, Jesus walks with these two disciples and begin to just show them that the Messiah was him. Can you imagine them sitting there with Jesus and he just opens up out of his own mind the things that he has inspired people to write and starts to give evidence concerning himself that he's the Messiah. Whatever the conversation was, verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Real quick before we move on. Andrew. We know a few things about Andrew. He was a fisherman. He was a disciple of John. But there are two things that stand out about this man that are really, really prominent. Number one, which is kind of obvious, he's Peter's brother. When scripture speaks about Andrew, it usually does not speak about Andrew unless it mentions Peter. It's going to always say Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, because or Peter was the more widely known. Peter was constantly taking the lead. He was always the first to speak, always the first to act. And he stands out among the two brothers. But the other thing about Andrew that has nothing to do with Peter is that Andrew constantly brings people to Christ. In John 6, 8 through 9, Andrew brings a young boy with two barley, with two loaves or five loaves and two fish. He brings him to Jesus. In John chapter 12, Andrew brought some Greeks out to meet Jesus. And not only these, and I'm sure countless more, but Andrew is the one who brings Peter to Jesus. Bible says in verse 41, he, Andrew, first brought his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. What an evangelist. I mean, anytime he sees someone, he goes to them and says, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? 
and this great leader of the church. Peter, it was by his brother, Andrew, that he was brought to Jesus. He says he brought him to Jesus. Whatever they spoke about that night was enough to send Andrew running after Peter to say, dude, you've got to check this out. I met somebody. You've got to check this out. And the Bible doesn't say that, that he just told them about Jesus. The Bible says that he brought Simon to Jesus. Now, some of you guys may be in that position where you don't not only tell people, threaten people about coming to church and about Jesus, warn them until they finally say, okay, 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 I'll go. That may have been the heart of Andrew, but it is also the heart of a person who has been transformed by Christ, been changed by Christ. He sought you, and when he seeks you, he changes to the point where you say, you got to try this. What do you do when you go to a good restaurant? You tell somebody. You tweet it. You Facebook it. You Instagram it. Like, best place. And you have a picture behind you because you're telling the world, this is the bomb, right? It's the same thing that Andrew did. Verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Think about this, man. Okay. Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is, I'm going to change your name. What a penetrating statement. Someone walks up to you and says, I'm going to change you. You're no longer going to be the same. I'm going to call you the rock. If you smell what I'm cooking. Yeah, you know, that you just I'll, I'm going to call you the rock. What a penetrating statement. And the point that, that is is deeper than that is this. You are never going to be the same. Imagine he comes. You come to Jesus and he says, you are never going to be. The, you don't even know who this guy is. And he just looks at you and says, you from now on are never going to be the same. You're no longer going to be who you are always thought that you were. And think about Simon was a very common name in the scriptures alone in the gospels. There are seven Simons, seven Simons within the gospels. This Simon was Simon bar Jonah or Simon, the son of Jonah, John. Jesus says to this man, no, your name is Petras. You're the rock. We will see later. That Jesus, from time to time, will refer to Peter as Simon. In those moments, it's because Peter was not acting like the rock. Peter was acting like the old Simon. Therefore, he was being rebuked by his old name, saying, you're acting like Simon, but I know you're the rock. There's a rock inside of you, but right now you're acting like a piece of clay or a piece of mud or whatever. You're not acting like who I know you are. Really interesting uh, take on this. John MacArthur in this in his book, Twelve Ordinary Men, says this. By nature, Simon was brash, facilitating, undependable or vacillating, undependable. He tended to make great promises that he couldn't follow through with. He was one of those people who appears to lunge wholeheartedly into something, but then bails out before finishing. He was usually the first one in and often too often He was the first one out when Jesus met him. He fit James description of a double minded man who was unstable in all of his ways. Jesus changed Simon's name. It appears because he wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to him about who he should be. And from that point on, whatever Jesus called him, sent a subtle message. If he called him Simon, 
He was signaling to him that he was acting like the old self. He called on the rock. He was commending him for acting like the way that Jesus made him to be. Everything that Simon was not was everything that Jesus was going to make him. And that's what he does for us, doesn't he? He takes these these lumpy pieces of clay as the potter. And he begins to mold us and shape us into this wonderful piece of pottery that we never thought or imagined we could be. We are much in the great hands of our God. Or little is much in the great hands of our God. This is what he does to a person that the father draws to the son. The person is now seeking because the father has drawn him. And when he comes to the truth because of truth, he will never be the same. Verse or John chapter six, verse 37 says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly never cast out. Now, as we move on to the encounter of the next day, Andrew, John and possibly James are all following Jesus. They are not yet apostles that won't come for another year, but they're following and they're asking and they're seeking and they're trying to understand. Verse 43, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who who Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good come back? Any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him before Philip called you. Oh, he said to him, how do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. The first disciples actually did come to Jesus as he was drawn to them. Now, the next disciples, Jesus goes to them. Both are the result of God seeking. Both coming and going are a result of God bringing. Verse 43. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. So Jesus leaves the the area near the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing. And he goes to Galilee. Now we don't know if it was on the way to Galilee or if it was in Galilee that he finds Philip. Philip was from the same fishing village as Andrew and Peter. It was very possible that they grew up together or that they possibly were very, very well acquainted with one another. When Philip met Jesus, he had the same reaction as Andrew and any true believer of Christ. He could not keep it to himself. Philip, verse 45, found Nathanael. Whatever was told to Philip, whatever Philip saw in Jesus caused him to go and find Nathanael. Nathanael is also known as Bartholomew. So you'll see Bartholomew in the other Gospels. His other name or his nickname is Nathaniel. So if you're ever doing a Bible trivia, don't mention Nathaniel and Bar- Bartholomew. They're the same person. Okay. What does he say? Verse 45. We have found the Messiah of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is the one that we've been looking for. This is Jesus. And, and he's the one that all the prophets have spoken about. And he's from Nazareth. What's the response? Nazareth. 
Can any good thing come out of that God-forsaken place of Nazareth? Nathaniel is reflecting the thoughts of that day concerning this little insignificant town called Nazareth. Moses never speaks about Nazareth. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament never mentions Nazareth one time. That little town is not mentioned in the Talmud, in the Midrash, or any other Gentile writings. Nowhere. Nazareth. The Messiah came out of, is coming out of Nazareth. That ugly place, really, he's, he's speaking negatively about Nazareth. The interesting thing about Nathaniel is he only lives 10 miles away from Nazareth in a place called Bethsaida or Cana. It would be like a person from Wasco saying, Shafter? Ain't nothing good come out of Shafter, and you're from Wasco. If any Wasco or Shafter people are listening to this on our website, we love you, Reformation Bible Church. We love you. But Shafter? Can anything? No, I'm just playing. Verse 46, Philip's reply is, come and see. I know that you have preconceived notions about what you think. But come and see for yourself. Don't let your traditions keep you from seeing for yourself. Don't let your traditions or your preconceived notions about what you think something is stop you from saying, let me give it a shot. Let me see. We can sometimes let our. Our walls come up and they stop us from being objective and listening and hearing. And Satan also plays a part in that. Satan plays a part in building up walls Making you think that something that is truth is a lie to keep you from what? Believing the truth. Let us learn from Nathaniel, who had an idea of what he believed would come out of Nazareth, only to find out that the Savior of all the world is coming out of Nazareth. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel. This is very interesting. Coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus is getting to a point. Jesus comes to Nathaniel or Nathaniel comes to Jesus and Jesus acts like he knows him. He says to him, here's a man that there is no deceit in. I know this man from the inside and out. Look at this Israelite. He's an Israelite externally. Obviously, I know you on the outside. And then he says to him something that hits to the inside. He goes in whom there is no deceit. He basically says, I know you outside and I know you inside. Now, he was not saying, Nathaniel, you are a sinless man. There's no deceit in you. Instead, he was saying, Nathaniel, you're a blunt man. You tell it like it is. You don't pull no punches. And it must have struck a chord with Nathaniel because Nathaniel's response to Jesus was, how do you know me? It wasn't just like, see, we can read over these things and say, "Okay, how do you know? But Jesus is saying to him, I know you outside and I know you inside because you're a blunt man. I know what kind of guy you are. And Nathaniel says, how do you? You it could be. How do you know me? Or it could be you think, you know, me, you don't know me. It could be. It could be that. I don't think so. But God knows his heart. Jesus was not intending to flatter this man with that statement. A true Israelite. No deceit. Instead, he's pointing out. I know you. The Bible actually says in John chapter two, he knows all people. 
and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was inside of every man. John 2, 24. Jesus not only sees your heart, but he also sees everything else. He sees your mind. And Philip says, how do you know me? Jesus says to him, I'll tell you how. Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. And I saw you. Now, here's something crazy as I, as I started to study and learn about this. A legend is that Nathaniel was born under a fig tree. So it could be Jesus saying, I saw you when you were born. I've, I fell out. I've, oh, I've leaned back in my chair and I had to come back and I go, what? Anyways. It was also said that Nathaniel studied the scriptures of the Old Testament under a fig tree. Either way, the point is, I see you. I know your beginnings and I know your ends. I know you. Now, whatever happened under the fig tree was enough for Nathaniel to be overwhelmed to the point where he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Nathaniel recognizes something about Jesus' response. This is no ordinary man. No ordinary man says things like you just said. And all he said was, I saw you under the fig tree. You're a blunt guy and you're an Israelite. From that, Nathaniel goes, you're God. You're the king. This is not normal. Now think about this. Maybe Nathaniel knew that there was nobody around to see him when he was under the fig tree. Maybe Nathaniel knew nobody knew but him that he was under a fig tree. Maybe there was only one. I don't know. But whatever it was about that fig tree and about him being an Israelite and about him being blunt, it just caused Nathaniel to say, you are the son of God, because whatever you know, nobody else could know. And you, you know me. You just met me and you know me. God is able to see what is not visible to human eyes. And Nathaniel knew that Christ, he was looking at Nathaniel with divine eyes, which is different from the way that humans see, different from the way that humans understand. Jesus was more than a man. And this takes us back to the whole purpose of this gospel and why it was written. So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I've been saying that over and over again. Because that's why John is writing this. It began with John the Baptist who told Andrew and John that Jesus was the Son of God. Who told Peter Jesus was the Son of God. Who told Philip Jesus was the Son of God. Who told Nathaniel Jesus is the Son of God. To you and to I, Jesus is the Son of God. This is how the kingdom advances. Isn't it? One person at a time, being convinced of the absolute truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When that gospel, that good news of Christ is being shared, God opens up the eyes of dead men and brings them to himself. Nathaniel calls Jesus the Son of God and the King of Israel. And he has an understanding. He has a clear understanding about something that is very, very deep, which is this. By calling Jesus the Son of God... And the king of Israel, Nathaniel, is recognizing that the son of God will not come without declaring himself or showing himself to be the king over all of his people. Essentially, the son of God is also the king. But Nathaniel thought 
He was just the king of Israel. We find out later that he is the king of all of them. Verse 40 or verse 50. One more verse, Eddie. (laughs) Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You think that's something? You're amazed by that? You ain't seen nothing yet. Notice that Jesus does not rebuke Nathaniel for his faith. His faith in Jesus is well placed. As a matter of fact, the first miracle will be performed in Nathaniel's hometown in Cana. The water turning into wine. You ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What? What is he affirming? What is he saying? He's affirming the faith of this man is well placed and it's not in vain. And he's also affirming greater works will be done. Greater works will be done than these. And he's making a strong case for himself being the Messiah. Jesus is giving evidence that there is only one man. There is only one man that has gone from heaven to earth and will go back to heaven and come back to earth again. Ascending and descending. Oh, yes, he ascended down. He is going to descend. He descended. He ascended. He's going to come back and take us with him. The point of this statement is this. He is the mediator. He is the bridge. He is the gate between God and man. He's the link between heaven and earth. He's the mediator of a new and better covenant. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he whom descended from heaven, the son of man. The point of this message is this, that though the whole human race was outside of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ has come and made himself the gate and it is now open to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that those who belong to him are now fellow citizens with God in heaven because of Jesus Christ. Because the gate is now open and been opened by Christ, those whom he has chosen are now companions of angels. We're, a- we're neighbors of angels. We're neighbors of the saints of old. Imagine, because you belong to Christ, because he has ascended and descended, Paul is your neighbor. The apostle John is your neighbor. David is your neighbor. Abraham is your neighbor. Jonah is your neighbor. Moses is your neighbor. MacArthur is your neighbor in heaven. These people are your neighbors. Your citizenship is now in heaven. These saints of old, they are yours. They are your brothers. They are your sisters because Christ has ascended, descended from heaven to earth. We are now citizens of heaven because the gate has been opened for you. Man, we can go back in time and say all of these great men and women who lived, the Sarahs, the Hannahs, the, 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 the Sam, you know, not many of them, but they're there. The Marys and the Marthas and the Eunices and all of these. They are your neighbor. They are your brothers and sisters. Y'all the women of the word, you know what I'm talking about. 
He's the only way. He's the only truth and the only life. He is the ladder through which we climb up into the presence of God through Christ. He's the one who sought our wandering souls and given us life when we had no hope of finding life on our own. And one day we will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of glory to take home all of his sheep who follow his voice, the voice of the great shepherd. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is still seeking those who are his own. And Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is still changing lives once they encounter the truth of Christ. And once you meet him, once he has sought you, just like Peter, you'll never be the same. If you have not met him this morning, then maybe you're here because he's seeking you. Maybe he is drawing you this morning. Whatever reason, it's by divine providence that you're here. And I pray that you understand that once he has you, he'll never let you go. And he will constantly change you into the person he wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you.